In this episode of the Smart Community Podcast, I speak with Juliet Murphy, the CEO and co-founder of FloodMap. Juliet and I actually share a similar background in environmental engineering, in water, hydraulics and hydrology. And Juliet also shares how the 2011 Queensland flood sparked her interest in the smart community space. Actually, this episode is quite timely as around this time, eight years ago, was the peak of the Brisbane and Toowoomba flood events. Juliet's experience in flooding, both personally and professionally, and nationally and internationally, as well as an app-building hobby that started in her spare time, have combined in her work at FloodMap. Juliet and I discuss the gaps in the communications during emergencies, and also the gaps in accessibility and understanding when citizens receive these communications. We cover the dual meaning of connection in smart communities, as well as why it is so important. We also talk about how Australia is currently embracing smart concepts. We discuss what flood mapping is, how flood map with two Ps came to be, and the accelerator program that she and co-founder Ryan Prosser have been participating in. We finish our chat talking about the emerging trends in climate and natural disaster and how technology can and should be part of solving some of these problems. As always, I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns and smart cities. It's where we live, work and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. Just before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you know that you can now support the Smart Community Podcast via Patreon. That's patreon.com slash smartcompod with two M's. If you become a patron, you'll get a special episode each month exclusive to supporters. If you would like to feature on the Smart Community Podcast, you can also head to Patreon where you can sponsor an episode. There are options for either a full featured episode or adding a promo for your company or an event coming up. There are both once-off and monthly options. Thank you so much for your support so far. It is my dream for the podcast to be self-sustaining so it can continue to be produced for my smart community no matter what the circumstances. Enough from me, on with the episode. Hello Juliet, how are you? Hi, Zoe. Really good, thanks. How are you? I am so good. I'm so glad that finally got to chat. I'm really looking forward to this. So can you tell us about your background and what you're passionate about? Yeah, absolutely. So my background is in environmental engineering, actually like really similar to you in a way. So I started environmental engineering at UQ a long time ago now, like over 10 years. And I really kind of went into it because I sort of was always passionate about environment, sustainability. I was really interested in climate change, interested in renewable energies, really interested in weather and like flooding. And I came out of my degree and then went into working as a water resource engineer with a consulting company for about five years in Brisbane and then um, overseas in Canada for a couple of years after that. And so I specialized in hydraulics, hydrology, uh, flood modeling, and I just was fascinated and I really loved it. And then 
to top that off, it was just interesting experiencing flooding in 2011. And then coincidentally, again, in Calgary, where I lived in Canada, two years later in 2013. So that just really got me more passionate about my interest in flooding and my interest in in helping people understand it. Like I, in both of those events, experienced quite personally and seeing friends be affected and losing all their belongings with sort of little notice. So I became really passionate about just making a difference and building apps and technology became a big passion of mine just as a hobby project. You know, I started building an Android app. So I'm passionate about a lot of things, but I think a big one of them is making a difference, particularly in areas that I feel that we can, where a problem can be solved. I just, I love solving problems and and helping people. Yeah. Excellent. So yeah, you're a true engineer, right? (laughs) Yes, you could say that. So what sparked your interest in like this smart communities or, um, you know, obviously it's very related to flooding, but this smart community space? Yeah, well, I think when it really clicked was, yeah, after some of these flood events for me. So in Brisbane in 2011, one of my friends was living in Goodna and her house was swallowed over the peak of her roof. The flood went over it. You couldn't see her whole apartment. It was engulfed. You know, she lost tiles off the roof and and things. And she had thought, knew that I was going to flood in Brisbane and had placed some things on tables, tried to move things up high and evacuated. But what she came back to and what we came back to to come and clean up was just an absolute disaster, crazier than anything I'd ever seen. And it still impacts me to this day, really. Just seeing a house where so the roof is falling in and every single one of someone's possessions is just covered in mud and sludge. You know, we, we spent days salvaging some of her photos. We froze them and then we're going through this recommended process of restoring them because they all got lost. And I just started getting me thinking, why did this happen? And I know the obvious question is because it's flooded and we can't stop the weather, we can't stop the climate. But surely there was enough time for some better planning and understanding to have gone into this. And and yes, it really stuck with me, particularly because my background was in hydrology and flood modelling. And knowing that people during the, the flood event that hit Brisbane in our consulting firm, like they had a lot better an idea because they knew what 7,000 QMEX meant and they knew what a predicted flood peak at 5 metres or, or 10 metres meant in terms of their particular area or house topography or building height. But to people, if you're not a flood engineer, that kind of information can be really hard to digest. And so anyhow, in, in 2013, I moved to Calgary in Canada and it was scary. Basically, the same thing happened again. This one in a hundred magnitude flood hit Calgary, causing about six billion in damage and kind of over 75,000 evacuations with little notice. And just the whole city, the whole downtown was inundated. The um, Stampede Arena, which is sort of like the, the Brisbane showgrounds, I guess, all got inundated, you know, two weeks before they were going to have their big show. And I took in five of my friends who got evacuated came in to sleep in my tiny apartment on the floor because they had nowhere to go and they weren't allowed back into their houses for weeks, you know, even those that were in apartments because all the, the basements got flooded. And I just thought it was so unbelievable how sort of short notice 
this all happened and a lot of people were just saying to me like we didn't even know we were in the flood area we had no idea that it could even flood I started sort of doing some more research and realizing that if they did do some preparation beforehand to understand where the flood risk areas were some of them would have had to go to the public library and access the map on like a hard copy piece of paper and so like I did a lot of research after these two events occurred like it really impacted me because I was just like is this following me it's just bizarre you know like two floods and the teams I was working with at the time were sort of you know involved in some of the flood modeling for the city of Calgary like they had information but the rest of the city didn't really and it just kind of struck me as crazy that I can download a mobile app where I can like I don't know go order an Uber and it will come to my door and I can see where my taxi is like how many minutes away I can order Uber Eats and I can see <laughs> how far away my pizza is to my front door. but yet in a disaster people are sort of left in the dark. And I think the way in which people expect to receive information now is changing. Like people have this expectation because of some of the technologies that are out there, that information will be disseminated to them in a personal way. But we sort of, I think, in some areas around flooding and natural disaster have been lacking that technology. And so I think this is really what sparked my interest in smart cities because I saw you know apps out there like Snapchat where there's AI that means you can put on a fairy hat or like vomit rainbows. And yet there's nothing sometimes when it comes to the moments that matter when you really need visual and important information, it's missing. So I sort of researched a lot around the recommendations that came out of the, the Brisbane Flood Inquiry and the Calgary Flood Inquiry. And a lot of them were really similar. It was around um, improving the understanding within the community about where flood impacted areas could be, where the flood hazard areas are, and also um, improving the warning time and sort of disseminating warnings in a way that people could understand. And so I think there were some things that were really highlighted around, although people might have received a warning saying, like, this particular catchment, the Bow River, 12 metres, that those bits of information don't necessarily mean a lot to everyone. So it was really this highlighted piece around understanding, really came back to understanding and that if something is communicated to you, but it's in the wrong language, then it might as well not have been communicated to you at all. So it really got me thinking and sort of got me researching more. And like I kind of developed this hobby for learning about smart communities and, and using technology to, to aid in understanding of flood risk. I'd say that's, that's really what sparked it. Yeah, excellent. Thanks for sharing that story. It's so interesting. And I had a similar experience in that I was in the Brisbane floods and then I was in the Roma floods as well. And my parents' house went under three times in three years. And we can vomit rainbows, but why don't we know where, you know, in real time where this is, you know, occurring and why it's occurring and when it's going to happen again and what we can do about it. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly. It's so meaning to hear your story too. Like I'd love to love to hear more about that later down the track as well. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have to catch up for a coffee for sure. I think so. <laughs> okay, let's go on to this next question, which is what is a smart community to you? I think smart communities to me all come down to connection broadly. 
and that's a pretty broad term, but it's connection in, in different ways. Like I've seen the use of technology to create apps where the application helps workplaces connect with different people from communities and immigrants to help look for um, employment opportunities to help people from different um, cultures who are learning English better develop their English skills, even to help people that have like secondhand goods sell those goods to people who want secondhand goods and all these like, you know, circular economy applications um, and then connection in the more kind of technological sense in terms of connection of big data, like internet of things, connecting like a rain sensor or a, a river gauge or a street light to uh, a server that then is able to undertake analytics and start to create automation. Like that all comes down to to connection. And I think that's really about how I would describe a, a smart community. It's not necessarily technology for the fact of just having technology, but it's that you're using technology to somehow connect people and the things around them. Why do you think that this concept is so important? Yeah, if you think about any community to me, a community is something you sort of identify with and you feel a part of. Either you feel some kind of camaraderie or you feel part of a team, part of the neighborhood, part of the the group of people that live in the city around you. Um, and so, you know, you want to feel like you can connect with them and help them in some way, or you want to feel like there's infrastructure around you and information being communicated about risks they might need to be aware of and that that information is things are accessible. And I think, yeah, everything feeling a part of something and accessibility of information, again, it all comes down to connection. How do you think Australia is currently embracing this concept? Yeah, I think in Australia there's like more and more online resources within communities where uh, you're able to connect with people or buy and sell goods, like lots of marketplaces being used to exchange things within communities. I think also like a lot of local governments within Australia are getting smarter about the way that information is connected with people for development or buying and selling houses. I mean, a great example is Brisbane City Council and their flood aware app with being able to look at a house if you may be looking to purchase or rent and get a flood report for that. And that information is starting to be communicated to people in a visual way, in a format that's easily accessible. You know, they don't have to order a paper report or go to the library. They can connect with that information um, on their terms, on their laptop or within their home. And so, like, I think I'm seeing a lot of development around that, which, like, Australia is really embracing. Yeah, I think we still have have a long way to go, but I think in some places we're making huge strides when you sort of compare to, to some other countries around the world. Yeah, cool. No, I, I think that, yeah, there are definitely pockets of amazing innovation and amazing application of the smart concepts. So, yeah, totally. Thanks for sharing that example. Now, I'm really keen to hear about Flood Map. So can you tell us what it is all about it? and why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So FloodMap, it's a platform for predictive flood mapping and smart alerts. And so what that means to kind of explain it is we, we're aggregating live rainfall and river height data around Australia. 
and we're uploading it into a database and everything we're using, like it's based on cloud infrastructure. So everything we get uploaded, it's, you know, it's live, it's in the moment. Um, and then we're connecting that to our hydraulic models that we've built that are kind of using a different approach than some 2D hydraulic models that other consulting firms may be using. So what that means, instead of like traditionally maybe taking up to say 18 hours to run a model, our models are, are run instantly as the rivers are rising, as the rainfall is falling. So we're doing flood forecasts and then we're generating an interactive map with an overlay of a flood inundation polygon so that people can see before it floods where the likely flood areas are going to be. And then because we everything we're doing is database central, we can use that information to overlay against the community population and work out who the you know affected where the affected communities and individuals are likely to be and customize and tailor our messaging to do deliver personalized and location specific messaging so think you know property specific messaging of where people are likely to be affected and actionable information that they can use to make better decisions so for example for people that are inside our predicted flood area we can send messaging to be like hey this is sort of major flood warning and the flood height is likely to be 13.9 meters but what that means for you is that you're within this area on a map is likely to be flooded and so you, you might want to think about packing up the kids taking the pets stowing your valuables and evacuating and here are the nearest sandbag locations or evacuation centers in your area are things that are relevant to you. So giving people actual actionable information rather than some of the broad messaging that tends to go out around, for example, there was a warning that went out last year in the Logan Albert catchment saying that there we major flooding in the Logan Albert catchment and that flooding is likely to reach 13.9 meters. So residents on floodplain areas in the Logan catchment move to higher ground. We're, we're going that one like big level more specific. So rather than sending a message that might sort of cover a 5,000 square kilometers area, we're actually putting that down to a, a forecast inundation map of where the flooding is likely to be and messaging people within that area specifically so they have additional information and and that way the message is also, it's passive, not active. So they didn't have to go to the Bureau of Meteorology site or the council website and check the warnings. They'll get a text message or email alert to their phone with a visual and a link to an interactive map so that, that information is right in their hands, right where they need it, kind of actionable insights. So the community feels more empowered to make better decisions. Uh, that's probably the best way I can describe it. So it's, yeah, it's very much still in continuous development phases right now. We've gone live with the platform and we're piloting it with some farmers uh, in Queensland and with some insurance companies. And we're continually building out our predictive models across Queensland and across New South Wales to cover more and more communities so that we can bring this concept to everyone. Because I hope that, you know, in a couple of years' time, it becomes the normal because I sort of think everyone really needs this to create a safer community. That's awesome to hear. And it makes a lot of sense to me. And recently I was in Japan and 
I was in Kyoto when they had the floods and I got these text messages on my phone. Granted, they were in Japanese, so I didn't know what was happening anyway. It was a text message saying, you know, evacuate, you know, this area is, you know, flooding, blah, 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 whatever. But I had no idea, like, what that meant, what I had to do, you know, what area I was in. Um, and I think that's really important that you need to make it really clear for people because they're not experts in, you know, flooding or hydrology or whatever. And you just need to make it clear and actionable. And I think particularly in times of disaster, people aren't necessarily like they need direction. Do you know what I mean? Oh, exactly. Yeah, it's a stressful time as, as it is. Like, I can't even imagine if I was you there in Kyoto, you know, you can't speak the language and there's this warning coming in the language that you can't speak. And even then, like, you're a tourist, so you don't necessarily know the areas and the names of the different suburbs or localities very well. So that's the case where just a map of the affected area and a GPS beacon would be, like, really useful because you can even say like okay i'm headed away on foot like am i headed in the right direction or like where do i go if i'm trying to get an uber you know how do i get out of here and so yeah it can be really stressful so i i definitely feel for you that i'm guessing that you you got out okay and everything you stayed safe yeah yeah i end up just basically going to the train station and i knew like shit was getting real when the trains were delayed in japan or cancelled so I was like, okay, what do I do? And so I just ended up at the train station and pretty much hung out there all day waiting for my train that was just delayed after delayed after delayed. And I eventually got back to Tokyo because I was supposed to fly out like within two days. And I was like, okay, I could either stay here, you know, potentially get stuck here or try and make it back to Tokyo. And so, and also, I guess this is not related to flooding, but just the ticketing system is a bit hard to understand at first and so you have to buy one ticket and then buy another ticket and so like there's all these particularly tourists because I didn't know lining up at you know this ticket thing and then they'd be told oh no you can't buy that here and they'd just been in the line for an hour or so and then they have to go over here and anyway it's crazy isn't it yeah but um it was a fun day but yeah well cool no thanks so much for sharing about what FODMAP does and like I know you were in an accelerator recently can you share a little bit about that experience yeah so the way um this project got off the ground it really started off as a hobby at first so a bit of a passion project if you like in my part time after working on that I didn't you know originally envisage it being a business at first I just wanted to help people and sort of built this prototype and And then my partner and co-founder, Ryan, he has a background in development. So he really helped me sort of get it into a a more kind of user-friendly, like did a lot of UI um, changes to it to make it more more user-friendly and functional. And then um, I was talking to some people at an international water conference who, who sort of really liked the idea and they were like, oh, are you offering this to local governments? And I thought, well, no, not yet, but maybe like, yeah, I mean, if you're interested, I just hadn't even thought of that. You know, I just sort of was, it was a bit of a hobby. Um, So then we started to think more seriously about how we could put some more resources into it and get it out to broader communities and businesses to help improve safety and prevent flood damage. And that's when we realized we really needed some capital because to yes yeah, sort of take the leap and I'm sure you know a little bit about this too like you know leaving a, a full-time job is never an easy decision 
to work on your own project. So we decided to apply for some accelerator programs. So we applied to um, the H2 Ventures Accelerator Program in Sydney. And that was like in about December 2017 by that point, I think. So we found out in December that we were successful in getting into the program. And I think, yeah, I almost cried when I got the call. I was just in shock that someone was going to, to back us and give us some seed funding that we needed to get the project off the ground. And so, yeah, we moved to Sydney for six months at the beginning of 2018. That program ran from February to July, sorry, June 2018. And it was fantastic. It really taught us a lot about the whole process of trying to start a startup company and get an idea off the ground into a prototype and into a functioning product. And part of that, like we learned so much about validation. So we really went through a lot of validation exercises of literally just going out onto the street and talking to people, um, you know, in their lunch breaks and putting the app and some prototypes in front of them and saying like, what do you think uh, about flooding? Like, are you worried about flooding? Like, do you know where the flood areas are? Would you use a mobile app? If you did use an app, what features would you want? Um, And it was interesting. So we learned a lot in that process. Basically, we surveyed hundreds of people and the feedback was, yes, we think flooding is a risk. And yes, we think there's a lot of damage happening because of flooding. Yes, we think people need more warning time. Yes, we think that more damage could be prevented and more safety could be achieved with more warning time. But no, we wouldn't use a mobile app because we need Netflix, Spotify, our banking app, all those important apps on our phone. And it doesn't really flood very often. So it's not something that we would download. And so basically going through this accelerator program was like a really big learning for us in terms of what people actually wanted. And I think we'd realized in our spare time and as a passion project, I maybe missed some of those steps and I was solving the problem how I wanted it solved or I thought it should be solved for me. But I hadn't really talked to the broader community and taken them along on the journey and asked, you know, what did they actually see as a solution and what would make the most sense to them? And so the accelerator was really a journey just about sort of customer and consumer validation about what people wanted, what people would use. And that sort of fed into the way we developed our our next product. So we did some more research around like our business model as well. And, you know, originally we were thinking of making FloodMap a B2C product like a business to consumer however after research that sort of changed a bit we knew like at the beginning we couldn't be a charity or not for profit because the kind of capital that goes into developing a technology like this you know it's so high tech and there's so much risk involved in all the predictions we needed a full engineering team and then to try and tackle this problem on a global scale like we have big aspirations so we realized it needed to be you know a company set up to be profitable but for a social good so that's the sort of structure we set on and then we we started to survey people to say okay you know like would people pay for this as a consumer product and what we found out was that no people said, we absolutely need this but no we wouldn't pay for it except for a few people so we had like probably 80% of people said no, they wouldn't pay for it. But yes, they wanted it. And then when I asked like who should pay for this, the two answers that came back were our local government or state government or our insurer. So that's when we sort of really started working in the accelerator with changing our business model from consumer to like a, a B2B play to market to businesses and governments. And so now we're looking to work with 
businesses in agribusiness, mining and construction, uh, insurance, as well as government. Um, however, we've found like the strongest response so far has been in insurance and agribusiness as we've validated our idea. So we're sort of like starting to pilot in those areas now with probably more expansion into mining, construction, government areas and, and other plants as we expand our reach. So it was really good. They had us like practicing our pitch every week. We'd have weekly meetings where we'd practice pitching to investors. Um, we'd have like weekly stand-ups and it was just this really supportive environment where everyone, all the different teams, we went through with 16 different teams and every team would sort of come back and say, oh, you know, we validated our idea on the street. Like we got good feedback or no, we got bad feedback. So we're kind of pivoting and going to try something different. And it was just really kind of nice to be going through this startup journey with people that were kind of just where you were having the same challenges about what we're going to build, how we're going to build it, how we're going to make money, how we're going to grow how are we going to scale our, our impact, basically? And now, so we moved back to Brisbane in July and um, we're actually going through a follow-on accelerator program that's more, you know, the first one we did was very much around validating an idea and, and setting up a business. The one we're going through now is more a scale-up accelerator. So it's really focused on helping us increase our sales, getting our sales process uh, all lined up and scaling our reach. So now we're sort of the last few months have been moving into the US and getting a lot of interest there, which is really exciting. So it's sort of a similar thing. We have weekly meetings, um, but much more team by team focused mentoring where they help tailor their approach to us and and help us, you know, form strategies around investment, strategies around sales, pricing models, uh, all that type of thing. So it's been really, really useful. I'd recommend anyone looking to start up their own tech startup. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Okay, let's move on to this next one. And um, I feel like I could guess what you're going to say, but I'm really keen to find out what the emerging trends are that people aren't talking about enough. I'm probably going to say, yeah, there's a couple of big trends around climate right now that I feel like are going to affect a lot of communities in a lot of ways that I know we're talking about them, but maybe not to the extent that we need to be and and should be. Is that what you were going to guess? Yeah, yeah. I think um, the changes in flooding and, and, you know, disasters and things and and how we respond to them is kind of where I thought that's where, you know, in that area of like your expertise. Yeah, definitely. I think that the science is showing right now that severe weather events and flooding is becoming um, not only more frequent, but more severe in impact. And, you know, it's just a really interesting one for me that although we we do our very best and there's some really talented modeling and, and smart science around frequency estimation for, for rainfall events and flooding, but in the end, like in Australia anyhow, in some places we're working with quite short gauge records. So maybe we're working with, say, 100 years of rainfall that we've recorded and maybe like... 60 years of of kind of runoff record that we're working with and we have to try and extrapolate based on this point in time, this historical point in time, forward into the future. And there's a bit of uncertainty is, is you know, like is that record that we, we have, is does that rec- represent a pretty wet, you know, record or a pretty like dry record? And, and so that's, you have to use like a lot of stochastic modelling 
around predicting the ranges and bounds of uncertainty. And there's a lot of like different climate change scenarios and modeling going on, which which have been really helpful. And yeah, a lot of the findings are that, you know, not only are, are floods going to become more severe and more frequent, but the sea level is going to rise. That's going to affect kind of coastal communities in terms of storm surge, affect the tides, it's going to affect coastal erosion. It's also going to result in droughts as well as so, you know, worse floods, but also worse droughts. It's basically two of the main struggles we struggle with here in Australia is really droughts and floods. And so these are each going to affect different communities in different ways. Anyone that has knows Australia knows that it's we're not just one and the same. We're so diverse. You know, there's small coastal towns. There's places that are surrounded by a tropical rainforest. There's places that are more, you know, dry, desolate, arid climates. And I think climate change is affecting everyone in, in different ways. And I think it's really about talking about starting the conversation more um, within communities and within leadership about how we're going to adapt as a community and become more resilient to that and you know as with flooding like we we know we can't stop the climate it's a force of nature but we can change our approach to it and we can adapt to that and become more resilient um, and mitigate in other ways like and have more warning we can have more connectedness within the community like is someone facing a disaster who needs help is someone available help because they're not affected you know can people donate clothes can people donate furniture and it's just all like resilience and adaptation piece on a larger scale and i think technology really serves a purpose in in connecting the community to kind of become more resilient together and and tackle it as a community problem rather than as individuals yeah that's awesome julia you have uh what's the word i'm looking for you've inspired me again to be excited about hydraulics which is very hard to do because I did spend a bit of time in hydraulics which we just discussed but yeah I guess what you've done is made that application I don't want to use smart but more like it's gone back what's the pain point of the community right and how do we solve that and bring in that personalized experience to something that people just accept that this is the way it is. So thanks so much. I've really enjoyed talking to you and I reckon we could talk for hours um, and we'll have to catch up um, in person in, in Brisbane when I'm down there. But I'm going to have to ask you the last question because I have another meeting at 12.30. But how can people connect with you? Oh, always. Um, hey, I love love reaching out to people who are interested if you you can email me at uh juliet at floodmap.com with a double p uh you can also get on uh linkedin i am often on linkedin sharing different events we're speaking at etc you can find floodmap on facebook and on twitter uh would probably be be the best ways and of course along to our website and sign up to our our mailing list, fill out the survey and tell us how flooding has affected you. So it's uh, www.floodmap with the double P.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's awesome. We'll put all the links in the show notes so people can click away. So thanks so much for coming on to the Smart Community Podcast. No, thank you so much. I'm going to send you an email because I'd love to catch up for that coffee. I hope you have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you. And you too. And yeah, I really look forward to our next conversation. Sounds good. Okay. Bye, Zoe. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, 
mysmart.community. If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community or find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter at smartcompod. That's com with two M's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears, so thank you in advance. As always, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for.